The Starlight Lounge presents An Evening with the Progressive Box. Oh, what a great audience. Let's dim the lights for this next one. Nope, too much. Ah, there it is. Got to get things just right. Like Progressive's Name Your Price tool. Tell us what you want to pay and we help you find coverage options that fit your budget. And now, the mood is right. Wait, the lights are back on again. Trudy, can you? And now it's completely dark. Progressive Casualty Insurance Company and Affiliates. Price and coverage match limited by state law. You're listening to Turf Show Radio. With the first pick in the 2016 NFL Draft, the Los Angeles Rams select Jared Goff, quarterback, California. Puts him at 1,000 yards on the button in his rookie season. And now, here's your host. Hello, everybody, and welcome to a Turf Show Times Turf Show Radio special. Uh, I am joined by my good buddy, Myson, and it is a uh, surreal honor and a privilege to be talking to the one, the only Rams legend, Mr. Eric Dickerson. Uh, Eric, how you doing today? I'm good. How you doing? Doing very well. Uh, Myson, do you want to get us started with the first question overall, which I think is on everybody's mind about golf? Yeah, absolutely. You know, it's just I think right now the with Jared Goff being inserted into the start lineup, the thing everybody everybody's been wanting, everybody's wanting to see what can this kid do. What 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 is the expectations like? Where where does where is it that everyone see things going from this point moving forward? Well, I, I think you're going to see uh, how how he's progressed in preseason. And, uh, you know, to me, and, and I'm not a quarterback, but, you know, his preseason was not an impressive preseason. And, you know, from now until then, you want to see, you know, how he's progressive as a, as a player, as a quarterback. You know, they kept saying he's not ready, he's not ready. And, you know, now all of a sudden, you know, they got to put him in. Is, is, he, is he even ready now? Um, I think that's one of the big things because, you know, you look at everybody's playing, you know, all these rookies are playing, and I think. The bar has been set so high by, by Dad Prescott, you know, from the Cowboys, you know, and, and Carson Wentz, uh, you know, at the Eagles that, uh, you know, he, this is the number one pick and this is the guy that they say was most NFL ready to play. And, and you know, you know, I guess right now it's time to put him out there. But me, honestly, I, I don't trust the Rams are going to make the playoffs. Uh, you want to see what this young quarterback can do. I mean, this is supposed to future uh, of the Los Angeles Rams organization. And possibly one day be the face of the Rams, and uh, you, you, need to, you need to get him out there and see what he can do. And my son and I were actually having a bit of a conversation about that. And without trying to put you 
on the hot seat here. There, there were some questions going back before, back and forth between he and I, where you look at maybe you you mentioned Goff's preseason, and you're right, it wasn't impressive. In a lot of people's minds, Mannion was the more capable backup, despite being listed as third on the depth chart. Is there? Is there any notion at all that you might have as to whether or not the Rams did a little bit of face saving by having Goff listed at number two? And now this is sort of a a do or die predicament like they they've been they're the reason that they're here in this situation, if that makes sense. Well, you know, you're not putting me on the spot at all. I mean, I tell you, my, my feelings are beginning. If you, if you don't want the truth, don't ask me. I mean, that's, that's, that's just how I am. I mean, either by myself or whatever. Uh, I'm not trying to hurt my own feelings. I mean, I was out there that Sean Banks should have been the, the number two quarterback or, or possibly even starting quarterback. I mean, he drafted it two years ago. I mean, he looked very good in the preseason. That is preseason. I mean, he's a big, stout-looking quarterback, 6'5", 6'4", strong arm. Uh, you know, has all the records at Oregon State. And this is the guy, you know, that, that you drafted a couple of years ago. Uh, and then all of a sudden, you know, you don't want to play him. And I can tell you this much here. You know, it's, 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 it's all about, you know, it's money and numbers is what it comes down to in the NFL. You know, uh, Jared Goff, they gave us a lot to get him, you know. And, and you know, right now, I don't care if Manion was, <laughs> had the hot hand, you know. If he was, if he was Case Keenum and he was starting, and he was doing well and they were winning, it'd be different. But, you know, they're going to have to put him number two because of the money they have against him. He's going to possibly want the face of the Rams one day and, and the draft picks they gave up for him. So, yeah, Sean Manning could be the more NFL-ready quarterback right now, but just because of the, the, the money they have into him and most definitely all these draft picks they gave for him, making him the number one pick, uh, you know, for the Los Angeles Rams. The Rams coming back to L.A. from St. Louis, you know, in 22 years. Uh, you know, that's the that's the whole thing right there. You know, it's not about, you know, is he ready to play? I think they just have to put him in. If they can't put Sean Mannion. Me personally, I think Sean Mannion should be the guy that's, 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 that's playing on Sunday instead of Jared Goff. But, you know, that's the name that, 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 would, that would just have to be seen because uh, you have to play him sooner or later. You can't keep hiding him. I mean, you have to see if he's ready to play. And we will see Sunday. I mean, he's going against a, a pretty good, stiff defensive front with the Miami Dolphins. Uh, they had four interceptions uh, against uh, a very good quarterback, you know, in San Diego. And um, well, what's the quarterback's name? I can't think of his name. Uh, Philip Rivers. Philip Rivers. And so, uh, you know, and, and Dolphins is a, is a young quarterback. I mean, a guy who has not played. So we'll see what happens. You know, I love the fact that you say that. You know, if you don't want don't want the truth, don't ask me because I feel the same way. And uh, one thing that uh, I was discussing with uh, Josh is that: Do you think that by by holding him back for ten weeks and saying that he's not ready, that now that you put him in, there's more pressure than there would be, have been had you played him week one, considering that. The whole reason you held him back is that you said he wasn't ready, and that when you put him in, you wanted to put him in so he could succeed. If there's not success, does that look even worse? The fact that he had an extra ten weeks to prepare. Uh, you know what? Most definitely. It, it, let's just say, and, and let's hope it doesn't, because I'm pulling for Jerry. I want him to play well. 
you know, he plays for a team that I played for. But if he goes out and it's a total debacle, it's going to make someone there look like an idiot. I mean, it really is. It's going to be whoever pulls the trigger on drafting him. And it's just it's one game. I mean, no one, you know, you're not expecting the season to be one in one game. And his career is not going to be, you know, determined by one game. But if, it, if, it's, if it's bad, people are going to be like, what the hell is this? You know, this is what we've been waiting for. And if it's good, he'll be saying, why the hell we wouldn't wait so long? What took so long to get him in? You know, he should have been in. So, you know, it's, it's a double-edged sword. Now, I completely agree with you on that front. It almost seems like a lose-lose proposition for Fisher here. <clears throat> but come circling back to the idea that in order for some someone to take a job, someone has to lose a job. At the end of the day, fundamentally, what wasn't working with Case Keenum and this offense? Is it the offense? Is it the quarterbacks? Because to my mind, when I look at the future, which Jeff Fisher has bet uh, on, on certain quarterbacks, when you get guys like Sam Bradford, Nick Foles, uh, and, and Jared Goff, a lot of these guys come from similar throw-the-ball-a-lot offenses. They're different. They're very different. But a key component in all of them is that the quarterback hucked it downfield quite a bit. So when Jeff Fisher says it's almost like it's a new era, what the hell have we departed from that I'm missing? <laughs> well, look. Uh, you know, we haven't had a quarterback with the Rams. Let's say, um, you know, I will, I, you know, let's go back to St. Louis. You know, they, when, you know, they, they had the greatest show in terms of Kirk Warner. You know, that was, you know, they had a, a, a great quarterback in him. But you go back to the Los Angeles Rams. You got to go back to, to me with Vince Gamo, Jim Everett. You know, we haven't had a, a, a big time quarterback. Um, you know, when I when I look when I look at this this, this situation. Um, with with Case Keenum, but Case, I like. I don't. I don't even know Case. I feel bad for Case. Everybody's on Case. Case Keenum, uh, you know, on, on his back and saying he can't do this, can't do that. And it's got to be hurtful to him. I mean, it really, it really has to be. But in, in, in all honesty, Case Keenum to me is a backup quarterback. That should be his role. He's a backup quarterback. He's got to comes off the bench. He's got to manage the game. He's got to that that's not going to go 16 weeks and going to win you 14 games. That's not. That's just not. He's not that guy. You know, he's a guy that the quarterback gets hurt. You may you know, say your quarterback gets hurt. He comes in, he plays three or four games, how to make you maybe three and one, two and two. But he's not a guy that can play 16, 16 regular season games. That's just, that's not his makeup. You know, so now, you know, you put in the, the, the rookie quarterback, the young quarterback, and, you know, the, the offense is what the offense is. I mean, the offense is very bland, it's very boring. Uh, it's, it's, they throw short passes, they don't, they don't spread the offense, they don't throw deep. The offensive line isn't very good. You know, when you make a trade, when you think about it, they made a trade for Jared Goff. You know, this is a team that, that if you make that trade, you feel like you're one player away. And one player, is that they're saying, we're we trading everything for a quarterback. Well, we're not one player away on offense. We're not. We, we, need, we, need, some, we need a deep threat receiver. You know, we need a, I mean, Kenny Green is coming to becoming that, and not, not even a deep threat. He's, he's a possession receiver. And we don't have a deep threat receiver. We need some offensive linemen. So we, we're, we're still hurting in certain areas. I mean, we, we just are. But you know, you, you you put this you put this young guy in in, in, a, in a system that to me is a boring system. 
And I, I mean, I don't know. He, he's a guy that didn't play under going to center a lot. You have to go on the center in the NFL. You can't play shotgun the whole time. And so, is that going to be different for him? You know, I asked Vince Ferragamo, what is it like for going to shotgun, you know, to, 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 to going in the center? He said, because the game is closer when you're in the center. I'm not quarterback. You know, I don't play quarterback, but I've, I've seen great quarterbacks. I've played with some good quarterbacks, never had a great quarterback. So I can't talk as a quarterback, but you know, you know, good quarterback play when you see. You know, I, I'm, I, I look down and Dallas and the Dallas Cowboys got as a fourth round pick that Prescott. I saw him in the preseason, and I was impressed with him in the preseason. I said, "Who the hell is this kid? He's so accurate." And when Tony Romo got hurt, I wasn't shocked at how he played. I mean, so now it's it's, it's, it's our turn for our number one draft pick to go in and see if he can kind of emulate a little bit of what Dak Prescott is. And I know he wants to try to see, he wants to show what he has, but one thing is we don't have that offensive line. We don't have that kind of offense. We just don't, we have to run it back, but he can't even get on track because of the blocking up front and the schemes they run. So I have a question now that you mentioned uh, Todd Gurley and um, me, I'm always, I always try to be, fair in every evaluation that I do. And, you know, I try to point to the offensive line and the woes that's going on there and the issues with just opening up running lanes. But as I really kind of dug into a lot of the the games and watching film this uh, season, I noticed that there has been a few times where, you know, holes would come open and it just seemed like he began to press the issue so much. He started to miss holes and, you know, the, he was running with less patience than what we saw last year. Do, is that something that you uh, might have noticed, or do you think that just the struggles with the offensive line might be attributing to, you know, him missing those holes or running with less less patience? Well, first of all, you understand when, when you've been hit as much as Todd has been hit, you know, this year at the backfield and, and the penetration. What worst thing for a running back uh, is penetration. It's like it's like a quarterback. The worst thing for a quarterback, I think, is sack is having a hand space. You know, and and, that, and that's the same thing for a back. Anytime you get penetration to the backfield, you're trying to make you're trying to take an ultimate route. When the, when the defense is in the backfield, the defense wins. When the offense still makes sure the offensive line, the defense, offensive defensive line, the offense wins. And the offensive line has lost most of these battles this year. I mean, as you can see, they can't even get one yard or half a yard. They can't run the ball, and the running plays are atrocious running up the middle all the time. When I see Todd, I saw one play in Todd in, in Arizona where Todd he didn't really miss a hole. He tried to get back to the hole, but the guy was in the backfield so fast, so he tried to get, go in and go out. I mean, it's just not a lot going on there. And all of a sudden, you get frustrated. You start making bad decisions because there's really nothing there. I mean, you know, you have to with, with the way that, that the, their offense is set up, you almost have to make the perfect cut, you know, at the perfect time. Because, like I said, when I look at when I look, look at let's take the Dallas Cowboys offensive line. Look at that line. Those holes are so big. Everybody still made that the line of scrimmage. When Zeke goes outside, the, the ends are sealed off. He can get around the corner. I mean, and, and that's that's what your offensive mm-hmm. line is supposed to do. They work as a unit, as a chain. And the Rams' offensive line is not doing that for him. They did some of it last year, but it's just not happening. And the thing, one thing is, is that, look, they can play the eight, nine-man front because we don't have a quarterback to back them up. I mean, when you talk to, to a defense, if I'm a defensive coordinator, when I saw the way Todd played last year, if I played him, I'm like, okay, no matter what, 30 is not going to beat us. We'll, we'll put it on 17. We don't think he can complete enough passes. We don't think that he can make us back out. He may hit one touchdown. Maybe, maybe two, maybe I doubt it. But 
we're going to stack this line of scrimmage. And that's what they're doing to him. And, and it's just, he's just, it's, it, I mean, people are trying to say it's the back's fault. It's not the back's fault. I mean, I'm not the only one saying it. My good friend Thurman Thomas, he saw it, and he said to me, he sent me a text and said, man, they're going to get the girly kills. They're not blocking. And, you know, that's back. We know what it takes because when I say when penetration comes to the backfield, and I say there's so much penetration in this backfield and when, when he's running the football, the play is pretty much, it's almost done. It's pretty much dead. You know, one of the things that has been a point of contention with a lot of Rams fans, especially on the offensive line, is the amount of time that's been devoted to the development of a certain left tackle. Um when you talk about opening holes and setting the tone, especially on the offensive line, it all starts with the center and the left tackle. The center seems to be a, a, a point of issue, but more importantly, Greg Robinson just doesn't seem to be the answer for the Rams at left tackle. Which of these, for you, is a bigger issue for the Rams right now? Is it the center position, or is it the left tackle spot? Is it an amalgamation of it all? What What's going on? Well, it's it's, it's, it's amalgamation of it all because look, the center is like the anchor. It's like when you you I'm gonna put I'm gonna put a line down. I'm gonna stick it in the middle, and then I'm gonna put a line from left to right and from right to left. Those are, those are your offensive when you have to guard your tackle. You guard the tackle, right guard, right tackle, left guard, left tackle. You know, and the tackle is so important because he protects the backside of the quarterback. I mean, that's a, that's, a, that's, a, that's a big part of it. And you have to have a guy that can get it done over there. Look, you're not going to win at the battle. Understand, those guys on the other side are professionals. Too. They're big, they're fast, and they know they, 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 everybody has a tendency. You know, if you, if you have a tendency as an offensive tackle to – to lean forward too much. Okay, we get him leaning and get around him. Uh, if he sits back too much, you're bull rushing and running into the quarterback. So every and everybody has those tendencies, but you have to have a guy that can sustain a block for your quarterback and your running back. And I, I keep saying you have to have they have to have a stalemate, or, or the offensive lineman has to be able to to push the defensive line back. Greg Robinson and I'm upset. I don't really know Greg. I met him. Nice kid. But he's not getting it done. I mean, he's getting beat so much. He has the most holding penalties in the NFL of any of any lineman. It's supposed to be any left tackle. I mean, Todd had a run the other day on uh, Sunday, 21 yards. He called it back when I was out there. I know she was who's holding. You know, Greg Robinson. I mean, you know, he's he's strong. He's big. Once, but once you know, you get into him, he's got you. But you can't hold. You have to you have to let him go. You have to you have to block, not hold. And that's the problem with him. I mean, he's a guy that they drafted. In the first round, second pick, and he hasn't panned out so far. And that's a problem. So, you know, heading into the final stretch here, you know, seven games remaining on the schedule. Um, Ty Gurley is headed for, you know, a little over 900 yards. And I think that now that the season has progressed, uh, we're getting the opportunity to see the the box possibly lighten up. And I think it has a lot to do with uh, Kenny Britt, you know, just kind of his emergence and which, you know, obviously it'd be a great thing for the running game and a great thing for Ty Gurley to give him more breathing room. With the switching quarterback, though, to Jared Goff, do you think that the, that Kenny Brick can maintain his current level of pace and that it could open up more lanes for Ty Gurley? I think I think that Jared Goff is given the opportunity and he can hit the passes that, that Chase Keenan can't hit. 
I think Sean Mannion hit those passes that that Case Keenan can't hit. You know, one reason because of the height. You know, he's he's a tall quarterback. I mean, and I'm big on the tall quarterback. A guy that's six foot. You get a guy that's rushing at six foot five, six foot four, and they put their hands up. You know, you can't see. And I, I'm big with that. So I, I think that 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 Jared will be able to hit some of these passes. I think it would be a plus for for um, Kenny Britt. I mean, I think it would be a plus for for Mike Quick. A lot a lot of the receivers. You know, uh, but, you know, we don't have, as, as, as a way, we don't have that deep threat guy. We don't have a Julio Jones. We don't have a Antonio Brown. We don't, we don't have that guy. I mean, and, hey, no offense, but, uh, you know, the facts is the facts. It is what it is. <laughs> and that, and that's it. You know, you hope that one day, you know, we can have someone that can take come up and take that role. We don't have a, a receiver that, that anyone fears. And, uh, you know, for the quarterback, he has to be accurate. He has to have the guys at front that can that can that can block and, and, and sustain um, the blocks for for him to sit back there and, and look downfield, or or if you get the running game on track. If the running game got on track, it has to it has to pass the game. If the passing game gets on track, it has to the running game. But look, the Rams to me, what is their identity? Are they a running football team or they a passing football team? What is their identity? I can tell you, they don't have an identity. Their identity is defense. They have they have a very good defense, not a great defense, not not a stifling defense. When I think of stifling defense, I think of the the Chicago Bears of '85. Like you can't wait for the defense to go on the field. I think of the Baltimore Ravens uh, when they won the Super Bowl in 2001 or 2002, whenever they won the Super Bowl. We have a good defense. We have the best defensive lineman in football. Uh, and Aaron Donald for sure. I mean, he's he. I mean, he's the guy that we, I just, I like watching him play. But you can't put it all on defense. So we have to. The, the offense has to help the defense. And I think maybe the best chance we have is if Jared Goff. I mean, because we have to have a quarterback that can make him back off. Is, is that the, is he the guy? We'll find out Sunday. You know, um, you know, it, he, he, so he's gonna go through his going pains. He's gonna he's gonna throw interceptions. He's gonna have fumbles. I mean, he's gonna make the wrong reads. He's gonna throw hot reads out there. I mean, that's that's what happens with a young quarterback. It happens with with the, with the veteran quarterback. So for sure, it's gonna happen with him. So just 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 know that right now, he's not gonna be perfect. Eric, before we get you out of here, I always like to give our guests a chance to talk about anything that they have upcoming. Also, where people can find you on social media, and if you happen to have any philanthropic efforts. Uh, that you're currently trying to work out. Um, I'd like to give you these final two minutes to to handle all that. Uh, well, I'm a foundation, uh, Young Warriors. You can look it up, youngwarriors.org. Uh, it's Father's Boys. Uh, we're trying to do a lot with that. We have a, a golf tournament that we're doing in Palm Springs, uh, May 7th and 8th, at uh, the PGA Court down in Palm Springs. So, uh, like I said, um, that's one of the things I'm doing. Um, and I have my radio show that I do on, on every Monday with iHeart 5-7, so listen to that. It's true. If you want to hear what I think is the truth about the about, about my old team, the Los Angeles Rams, and look, I'll say this much here. I'm a fan just like a lot of the Los Angeles Rams fans are. I'm the voice. I try to be the voice of the fans. You know, I, I, I'm not, I'm not as they call him, a homer. You know, I'm not, as I say, Mr. Childish boy. That's not me. If you don't want the truth, don't ask me. So I, I just want all the fans to know that my thing is, is that I'm going to tell you what I think, and I'm not right all the time, but this is my feelings about a sport that I, I have a passion for, about my team that I'm passionate about. And I keep saying this over and over. I want my team to win, too. I want my team to look good. I want, I want the Los Angeles Rams to one day, you know, be the team 
that everyone sees us. You know, like we don't want to play the Rams. Like it's like people look at the Cowboys, man. Look at the Patriots. I mean, we want to be one of those teams, the Seattle Seahawks. That's what I want the Los Angeles Rams to be. And I know all the Los Angeles Rams fans want the team that's been gone for 22 years to come back and be that team. It may not happen this year, but like I said, be patient, and hopefully that will come for our Ram fans. Man, I, I, I don't really know that there's a, a better way to end this. Uh, man, Eric, that, that just encapsulates everything that I know we do at Turf Show Times. And I can't thank you enough for getting a hold of us and, and wanting to do this with us. This is This is absolutely huge for us. We appreciate the time and certainly hope that we uh, we acquitted ourselves well during our time here with you because uh, I know it was an immense amount of fun for Mike and I. Absolutely. Well, thank you, guys. Thank you for having me on. Appreciate it. All right, Edie. Well, you get to your evening, and we will wrap this thing up over here on IN. Thank you so much. Eric Dickerson, ladies and gentlemen. Uh, Mycin, man, uh, I don't know how you top that, but let's go ahead and break <laughs> some of that down. Uh, yeah. Basically, he said a lot of the same things that we've been saying on our podcast, on uh, the podcast we literally just got done recording that will go up after this goes up because this is more important than what we just did. Uh. So I, I guess let's touch on some of that here, man. Uh, what what did Edie say that that you agree with? Aside from everything, you know, <laughs> I know that's the easy that's the easy answer there, right? Um, I really, really, really thoroughly uh, enjoyed the point he was making from a, a, a NFL running back perspective about the struggles of getting it going when your line is allowing penetration. Um, it's something that I've touched on before in talking about, you know, just kind of what what the difference between getting penetration up the middle and as opposed to the outside. And, you know, he hit it dead on the head, and he really, really painted a good picture as he was talking about his conversation with Thurman Thomas and the, well, the, the way that they're blocking or lack thereof is going to get Tiger really killed. Um, I don't think that you can put it in any better terms than that. Um, just the pounding that he talks about the running back taking um, what it does to you and using the, using the comparison to the quarterback and what the quarter, the pounding the quarterback takes and how it kind of changes your game a bit. You know, I think that, I think that that's one part of the game that kind of gets overlooked sometimes is, you know, when a player is kind of running into a brick wall over and over and over how do you adjust and what does, it, what does it do to your game? Um, that, that was, that was a very, very interesting picture that he painted there. Uh, especially considering he's done it and he's talking and it wasn't just him. He, he, he said Thurman Thomas as well. You know, you got two all time greats talking about the struggle that you have in having any sort of success when the offensive line is giving penetration up straight up the middle and you're getting hit in the backfield. I mean, you really, you can't really put it in any lamer terms than that. Yeah, I mean, and and that's sort of the thing with this Rams squad is is I, I think the thing that he hit on that I've kind of noticed since I've been because you can't help and I said this when when I started covering Fresno State. There's no possible way to cover a team 
and not develop some sort of relationship with that team within yourself. There's no way to do it. It cannot be done. In some small way or another, you end up not rooting, but I'm just going to say that because that's the word that everyone can relate to. You end up rooting for a team. And, and, and really what it is that I think journalists end up rooting for are personal stories to succeed. That's, that's what they want to succeed. It's guys that have told them their personal hopes and dreams, confided in them how far they want to go, and seeing that play itself out in real life is something that is hard for an individual not to be proud of seeing happen. Um, but when, when he says like, you know, don't ask me something you don't want to know, like I can, I can relate to that. Cause that's kind of how I cover any team. Like, look, I, I mean, I'll tell you the good with the good and I'll tell you the bad with the bad. And right now what's working for the Rams is, is something that, I think, you know, Joe has pointed out, I know you've pointed it out, and it's that when the Rams were in St. Louis and Jeff Fisher was given these answers and so on and so forth, he got away with it. Nobody ever challenged him on it. Now, here in Los Angeles, Jeff Fisher has to answer the questions that he himself has created by his decision making. And it's like I tweeted earlier today, like, there are a lot of questions that, you know, people have about Jeff Fisher. And the reason they have those questions is because of Jeff Fisher. Like, I mean, it's, he is both the cause of and solution to the problem. Get rid of it. Um, and it's sort of where the Rams are at with some of these players, particularly Greg Robinson. It's just time to move on, right? Right. Yeah, absolutely. <laughs> um, with the thing about moving on is I think with some positions, it's a guaranteed move on. You know, when you talk about a receiver that's struggling to make the transition, it's receiver. How much more can you do? You need to move on. You talk about a corner. How much more can you do? You need to move on. But when you talk about a, a lineman, specifically one with his ability to physical ability to play anywhere on the line, I think that it's because of the investment that you put in him being a number two overall pick. It's worth the 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 the, the risk, I guess, or the opportunity to take the opportunity to try him somewhere else because left tackle just does not seem to be it. Be personally, before cut, just c- cutting bait with him, I would personally try him on the inside, see what, ty- what type of success I can have there, if any at all. If there's nothing there, and I'm not saying give it three years like you're doing out there at Tackle, but if there's nothing there, you know, after a season, you know, then it's, I would move on. I would say, you know what, we've tried all that we can. Let's just move on and, you know, let's just cut our losses and say, 
we need to get somebody else in here. The strength of him is is worth trying to move him inside, right? The strength of him alone, yeah, like absolutely. Eric brought up, it's it's worth trying to make him work as an interior lineman, right? Absolutely. Absolutely. <clears throat> I mean, here's the thing, though. Where do you play him? I would throw him in at guard. You know, I would definitely throw him in. Well, I mean, right are you guard, playing him on the right left? Guard. Okay, so, so you're going to no, have right him guard. take the yeah. spot of, of Jamon Brown yeah, and Cody Wickman. It's now going to become a three-headed beast. I would throw him in at right guard. I think that um, you can move uh, uh, Roger Saffo to tackle, back out to tackle. I would throw him in at guard, and then I would put Jamon Brown at left guard, which I actually think would be a better makeup considering that Jamon Brown has shown tremendous ability to move bodies. I think his issue is assignments. Uh, when he knows his assignment, he comes off and he absolutely moves every, anyone in front of him at will. And it's really impressive to watch. The issue is I don't think he knows his assignment enough. Now, when you put him next to Roger Saffold, and then you have the highly intelligent, I say all the time, Tim Bourne's issue is never knowing his assignment or his the from the head up being able to make the calls from the head up he's perfect it's his physical limitations if you put him in between someone as intelligent as Tim Barnes and a veteran like uh, Roger Saffo I think that he his his potential is the the sky's the limit for his potential then on the other side you have Greg Robinson I don't think his issue is so much of knowing his uh, assignment as it is focusing focusing on doing the little things because he's on an island so he there's more pressure you're all alone you don't have as much help on the on, on one side of your shoulder you know so you you actually have to focus on doing the little things with your footwork and dropping back in your kicks your kick step i think all those things play a role in him losing focus and making mistakes and reaching out to grab because he got too caught in his thoughts and the guy slipped past him i think if you put him on the inside where he has that protection on both sides then you start to see him kind of settle down a bit. So I really think that it would it's worth the uh it's worth a try to throw him inside and kick Jamon Brown over and uh Saffold back out of tackle. Yeah, I, I I okay, I can come along with your logic now. I was I was just curious how you were gonna take a two headed beast and, and, and then turn it into a hydra and have it work out, but if you're moving Jamon Brown over to that left-hand side and, and, and letting Greg Robinson run the right, then I can certainly understand where you're coming from. Um, for what it's worth, I agree with you. I think any time you expend that kind of capital on a pick, you owe it to yourself to try him out at every position possible. The only reason you can't do it with a quarterback like the Rams have is because quarterbacks only tend to play one position. Um so, uh, you know, th there's not much you can do there. But with a guy like Greg Robinson, you have a number of other spots where you can try him out in the hopes that you get something, something back uh, for all that you've put in. And if, if, if you can turn Greg Robinson into a Pro Bowl caliber interior lineman, he may not end up being the, the world-beating left tackle that you thought you would end up with. But you know what? A Pro Bowl caliber guard is one step closer to having a complete offensive line. 
Um, and then you just have another piece that you have to address, whereas right now the Rams don't really have a guard or a tackle. So you've got two positions up in the air. If you can settle one, then that sort of narrows down what you have to do at the other, um, and you can work on addressing that either through free agency or the draft. Um, you know, how, how that plays out for the Rams sort of remains to be seen, but I I do think that it's absolutely worth it to try Greg Robinson out as a tackle. Um, you know, I, I do I like sense to, the – go ahead. No, I was going to say I like to compare him a bit to uh, Robert Gallery. You know, he was a, a left tackle that was highly touted coming out. Everyone was kind of raving about what his potential that. would be. You know, everyone raved about what his potential would be. And, uh, you know, the, 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 the uh, Raiders – they ended up drafting him second overall <laughs> in the 2004 draft. And it quickly was identified that his best position would be on the interior. And he went on to have a hell of a career in the NFL all the way through 2012, you know, a, a nine year career where li- it really was about injuries really kind of took him out there towards the end where he was just playing exceptional football for so long and playing at such a high level, you know, I think that sometimes when you can admit that you didn't get it right and you make those changes early enough, which I think it is still early enough in Greg Robinson's career to rebound. If you are willing to admit that mistake and make the correct changes, when you make, when you do admit that, then you give yourself a chance and you give the player a chance because you know, the ability is there. He just might be in the wrong position. Yeah, and apparently a new era begins, but Jeff Fisher said it wasn't quite, but it could be. So I think that that should be like a new era begins, dot, 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 maybe, but not quite. All I know is it was three years, just like it's three years now that they moved gallery. So we'll see. Uh, I do sense, I want, before we get out of here, I do sense that you disagreed with Dickerson a little about whether or not it was just the offensive line's fault and not necessarily Gurley's fault. Uh, now, I know it's often really difficult to, to look at uh, a running back who played the position at a level like Dickerson played the position because, let's right. be real, we all know that boy could run. Uh, yeah. even now he's still exciting to watch. Um, and he's like, <laughs> I think he's like 52. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Yeah. Well, I mean, that SMU team is just fun to watch in retrospect anyways. I mean, they kind of look like a modern offense in so many different ways, just running all over the place and doing whatever it is they really wanted to do whenever they wanted to do it. Uh, but, uh, yeah, I, I got the sense that you disagreed with him slightly over the fault of Gurley this year and that you feel he's he's running a little bit impatient. Are you still feeling that way or do he sway you or remember, it's OK to disagree with him? No. Oh, no. I'll, like he said, if you don't want to if you don't want to hear the truth from me, don't ask me. I do. I do feel that Gurley has run impatient and with less vision. Um, but I look, but at the same time, I wouldn't say he swayed me, but I love the perspective that he gave, especially considering the fact 
that he gave two examples and both from Hall of Fame running backs. You know, so th- th- that different perspective, it highlights points that he's making that I 100 percent agree with and the mentality of the running back and how it kind of changes things and the difficulty of running when you're coming straight up the mi- when the, you're getting pressure straight up the middle consistently and you're getting hit in the backfield. I 100 percent agree with that. I understand what he's saying. Absolutely. 100 um, percent. I guess my big my big thought process is that I've seen this before and I've seen a running back somehow, some way turn out yards to have some to have some type of success in Steven Jackson. You know, and um, with Steven Jackson, his big thing was that he always ran so patient. He never got caught up in the moment. It didn't get to him. He just played his game. Now, I'm not trying to put too much pressure on Gurley because he's only in his second season. And I think that that plays a huge role in all this. You know, Gurley is such an exceptional talent and such an exceptional running back. You know, when he gets in the open field. You don't want to see that because he can either become Earl Campbell or he could become Adrian Peterson or or Eric Dickerson, for that matter. He could just run from you or he could run through you, you know, so he's a different breed because there's not a lot of guys walking around like that in that mode. But he's still a young running back. But because of all that talent, I think that's kind of what, you know, puts these expectations into people and myself included. I think I expect a lot from him because of what he's capable of doing. And because I expect so much and because I've seen other running backs who have had exceptional talent, have some success, even with a offensive line that's not doing well. And remind you, the Rams haven't had a thousand yard receiver since 2007. Well, from 2008, nine, 10, 11 and 12, Steven Jackson was still running the ball and he was still going over, you know, the 14, 1500 yards from the script, uh, total from scrimmage. And that's why I kind of was hitting on that about his vision being hampered. And I think it has a lot to do with the uh, lack of success and him forcing the issue. Still, though, I really like the picture that he painted, you know, because I think that how can you argue with that? Like he he's right. <laughs> he's absolutely right. And what it does to your psyche and the way that you run the ball. Yeah, and, you know, sometimes when you get somebody like a Dickerson who can do what he does, it does change the way that you look at the game as opposed to maybe what Todd Gurley is good at. It's sort of like the best example I can provide for somebody is I got my master's degree without ever buying a book. And, uh, you know, for some people, that's that's not really doable. I was one of those people who never really studied for tests or anything of the sort because I could just remember the information long enough until I needed to forget it. And then once that point passed, I was like, okay, I can dump this stuff sort of like a computer. Um, But uh, it can oftentimes be difficult for me to imagine somebody who can't, you know, just do that because that's my natural world i can just do that so i think everybody else ought to be able to do that and lord knows that is not the uh the 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 best way to approach situations but at the same time i think it's human nature as we tend to think we tend to approach situations and look at them from uh our own our own perspective really um do you think that there's there's a slight possibility that that maybe Dickerson thinks Gurley's a bit better than he is, 
Or, you know, do you think he's holding out faith? Have, where's your faith at on Gurley, first of all? Which which Gurley is the real Gurley? The Gurley that we're seeing this year, the Gurley that we saw last year, or is the truth somewhere in the middle? Okay, so I would say that the truth is definitely somewhere in the middle. Um, coming out, and I'm going to touch on both your questions about where – Where's my faith at in him and where I think that Eric Dickerson's faith is. Um, with Gurley, I think that it's somewhere in the middle. When he was coming out and, you know, everyone knows me, I, I scout guys very early. <laughs> I scout them usually before the before the their year to leave even comes. You know, um, I try to get the ball rolling early. And especially when you have a talent like Gurley, a guy who's really just dominating the game, you look at them immediately. So he's someone that I was scouting from his freshman year all the way through the draft. And um, my biggest harp on him was that he was a, a, a stiff runner. He didn't really have wiggle. But I loved his speed, the ability to pull away, and I loved his power. And the guy that I compared him to, I always do comparisons not off of what I think your uh, NFL career is going to be like, but what I think your talent is and what your skill set best matches with. My comparison with him, and it took me a long time. It never takes me this long to figure out somebody that, okay, this guy, his abilities remind me of this person. It took me a long time because he's so different. Gurley is such a different player. You just don't have many guys walking around that can do what he does. The person I compared him to was Ricky Williams. Ricky Williams was a powerful, powerful, powerful back that didn't really have a lot of wiggle. He wasn't going to shake you or anything like that. If, you know, if, uh, He was a, a one-cut runner who had really good speed and was extremely powerful and had the biggest thighs you've ever seen, you know? And I think that that's what Gurley is. I think he's a one cut runner. You don't want to, if you get him in the open field and he has to make a move, I think more times than not, he's going to lose. Now, if you get him in the open field and he has to run through you or run through an arm tackle or any of that more times than not, he's going to win. Now, once he gets past you, you're not going to catch him. It's just that simple. You're not going to catch him. So I think that Gur- I love Gurley's talent. You know, I do. As far as just pure, uh, just natural running, I think that Benny Cunningham is a better natural runner. You know, I think he does a better job of kind of using his vision, being able to make certain cuts, jump cuts, like just an unbelievable jump cut is so impressive to me where you can you know, a guy can break up the middle and you can react, make a jump cut, have the vision to see the hole while it's happening so fast and still be able to hit it somehow. I think that's something that especially because that's something quarterbacks quarterbacks are doing these days. Like they're almost making jump cuts when they're stepping up through the pocket. And and that's because that athleticism of quarterbacks is starting to shine through. So you expect your running backs Exactly. And that's something that in college and in the NFL, I have never seen with Gurley. Now, again, I think that uh, he showed much. I've said this before. I think while I've criticized his patience this year, I have said I think that he showed much more patience last year. You know, so I do. I'd still stick to that. I think that he showed better patience last year, but he's never been that guy. In my personal opinion, from what I've seen uh, from his freshman year all the way through now, I don't think he's ever been that guy who's going to, you know, find the hole. You know, he's not going to set up his blocks 
he's gonna he's gonna get the hole that's there. He's gonna hit it. He's gonna hit it hard, and he's gonna make something happen if he gets to the second level. If he gets to the second level, there's a good chance he's gonna get to the third level, and he's gonna get to all the way to the end zone. You know, so and that's not that's not a running back, or that's that's a running back that I want. It's not somebody that I'm gonna turn my back on. Um, I but I don't think that he is. Uh, the most natural runner on the Rams squad. I would give that to Benny Cunningham. I actually had uh, Ezekiel Elliott graded higher than uh, Todd Gurley. If that gives you uh, any indication, now that's not to say oh, that I, I I would have had Ezekiel Elliott rated higher than Todd Gurley. Ezekiel Elliott's one of the most complete running backs I've seen come out of college in a long time. Looking at the broad picture, Todd Gurley has exceptional ability, but Ezekiel Elliott, he's a natural pass catcher. He's a great blocker. I just watched Todd mm-hmm. Gurley get blown up, go up for pass protection. Where That's I've the thing that separates him. Elliott, in my opinion. He he's not he is an exceptional pass blocker. And and that to exactly. me is what made him an instant first round pick, and one of the reasons why he broke that trend of people not taking running backs. Like this is a guy, like you said, he, he can eat a tremendous pass catcher. He can obviously can adapt to whatever style of offense you need him to play in. But I mean, he's, he's obviously kind of, I mean, he's a North South guy, but he's got no problems going East and West either. But the thing for me that just made him the best was the pass blocking. Yeah, and that's not to say Gurley can't go east and west because, as we all know, he has the speed to get to the edge. But like I said, when he gets to the edge and he's in that open field, what's he going to do? If he has to make a move, I don't have faith that he's going to win. Now, if he can run through the arm tackle, break, run you over, whatever it is, jump over you, then yes, I have 100% faith in him. But if he has to make a move, and I'm not saying that being at having wiggle was the most important thing, but I think all the best backs you look at, uh, Adrian Peterson, you look at Marshawn Lynch. That was a very underrated part of uh, Marshawn Lynch game is how quick his feet was. He was a very, very quick feet, and I've seen him just absolutely make guys look stupid. You might want to look up the highlight of what he did to Ray Lewis's knee <laughs> when uh, Ray Lewis caught him in the open field. You know, So it, it, it's, it's something that you have to have incorporated in your game for me to look at you and say that while yes, Ty Gurley is a different talent because you don't see many guys like him. Ricky Williams was a very hard guy to compare him to because Ricky Williams was the only one of his kind other than, well, no one, because there's been a lot of powerful backs, but not many with that type of speed. <laughs> you know, so when I look at Ty Gurley, I think that Ricky Williams is the best comparison for him. Now, where's my, that, that should answer where's my faith in him. I think that I'm very happy with him on this roster. I think he's a very good running back. I think that his future is bright, especially if the line can get together, if he can get so, just a decent line for the majority of his career. I think Ty Gurley's headed for the Hall of Fame. Uh, where I think that uh, Eric Dickerson's faith in him is, and um, this is 100% just off of my own just observation, I think that he's very loyal to him. You know, I think they've built a very good relationship. And I think his loyalty is why he say that why he's not uh, as quick to point the finger at him as I am. Um, And that's not to say that I'm not loyal to him, because like I said, I love him and I'm happy that he's on the team, but I think that he's very loyal to him. And so it's, it's, uh, he doesn't want to, uh, you know, down him out too quick. And I early in his career. Well, 
Uh, we've certainly covered a lot. Eric Dickerson certainly covered a lot. Uh, before we get out of here, you got any final thoughts? Uh, any any last words on on what, some of the some of the stuff that he covered in today's podcast? That was a lot harder than it should have been. But we've recorded a lot today, so people who think that this should be easy peasy and that we're making mistakes, it's because this is like hour number three. So if if we sound like fools, it's because we've been recording for a while now. But when Eric Dickerson calls, you you answer. Exactly. You know, I'm, I just want to say that, uh, I mean, there's really not much to say. There's not, you can't really top what he's saying, you know, <laughs> you can't, you can't top if, even if all he did was come on and say hi and bye, what you can't beat that. <laughs> you know, I'm, I'm just grateful that, you know, like you said, when he calls, you know, you got to come answering. So he called, we came to answer thoroughly enjoyed just listening to him. The knowledge that he, uh, has and that he's able to share is just, is it was definitely a privilege, you know, that I'm really grateful for i'm really thankful for uh hope that we can do it again sometime uh, look forward to it if we do um yeah that's it i mean i don't really have anything to top that or any closing he he knocked it out of the park I, like i said the picture that he painted i think that uh, is the the most impressive part you know you don't really get that opportunity too often to have someone painting a picture of you of something that they did for so long and th- then to throw in thurman thomas so now you got two perspectives of it you know, painting that picture of what Todd Gurley is going through right now. And he's going through it at a young age and very early in his career. So it's it's a good thing because, you know, being so young, he gets to, it's a le- great learning experience. Um, I think that he is learning just listening to him talk. You look at his interviews, beginning of the season, it was really down and just attitude was all wrong. You could see that it was bothering him that he wasn't getting it going. Even when they were on a three-game win streak, his attitude was different. It was bothering him. But lately, you could kind of see him changing. I think you're starting to see Ty Gurley grow not as a not only as a player, but grow as a man, which, which you gotta love. Yeah. Uh, you know, I, uh, I think Eric Dickerson is my first NFL Hall of Famer, so that, that was... A- Another that was the reason I had to come calling. Like I've done Ronda Rousey, I've done Misha Tate, uh, Quentin Rampage Jackson, uh, Stipe. I've interviewed him. Like I, so I've got like UFC champions knocked out of the park. College players I have knocked out of the park, but an NFL Hall of Famer I did not have. So. Uh, even if it is our number three, I was still all too happy to answer this call. And many a thanks to producer Scott, who uh, pretty much made himself available for this podcast on a moment's notice. I uh, no can't fellas. thank him enough. Like you said, so, when Eric no. Dickerson calls, you answer. Yeah, basically, and Scott and Scott's a Niners guy, and he he even knows to pick up the phone when Eric Dickerson calls. I mean, you should everybody everybody knows. So yes, uh, we we really honestly hope that you guys enjoyed listening to this podcast as much as we enjoyed recording it. And uh, once again, like Myson said, a huge thanks to Eric Dickerson. A big shout out to Lanny, uh, Brett Brett Lancaster. Uh, you know him as Lanny OSU for for organizing and getting this stuff all set up and and 
basically, so all we had to do was slide in and ask the questions. Um, so uh, between Scott and Lanny, this was this was the 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 making of a uh, a surreal memory. Um, so big shout out to both those guys and give them a follow if you're not already. Uh, and once again, we will be back at our regular time. Uh, I said this on the last podcast, but I'll now say it here again. We will be back at our regular time tomorrow night, uh, discussing the Dolphins up game with, uh, SB Nation's, uh, Miami Dolphins site, the Finsider. So, uh, we, uh, we know we were doing some stuff over there with them tonight, so they're going to be coming over here to do some stuff with us, and we hope you enjoy that. Uh, outside of that, we also have a podcast going up with Myson and I, just talking about some of these things a bit more in depth that came up in the Dickerson podcast, but we kind of get into it from our perspective. Uh, and that'll be going up as well, though. Now with these two podcasts, I have no idea when probably Thursday or Friday, uh, but it will be going up. So look for that. And, uh, my son and I are going to try and do some more of those throughout the remainder of the schedule. So we're going to try and increase the audio content that you guys get. So we hope you enjoy that and catch us next time. Here on Turf Show Radio on SB Nation's home for the Los Angeles Rams, Turf Show Times. We are out. Hey everybody, it's Neil Patel, Editor-in-Chief of The Verge. I host a podcast every week called The Verge Cast with my friends Paul Miller and Dieter Bone. We've got a rotating cast of characters from our entire site, which is about technology, how it impacts culture, and how that is all a big cycle that causes us to have a wide variety of feelings that you can listen to every Friday. We've done over 300 episodes in the six years since The Verge has been around, but you only need to listen to one, the latest one, to get caught up on everything in tech news. Vergecast is on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, everywhere else. Also, you listen to podcasts, check it out.